Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we thank you that you are a saving, rescuing, redeeming God. Father, we thank you that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and, and unable to, to, to move toward you, that in love that you moved toward us. Um, when we were lost, you came to us and you found us. Father, last week as we, as we began to, to look at, at Luke 15 and we, we, we saw how you, uh, you, you took us up, and you carried us to yourself, Father. Again today, we we, we see the, we see your heart. We see your love. We call the, we see the heart that you've called us to to have for those who don't know you. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts now, Lord. I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know Christ, Father. I pray that today. Uh, you would reveal yourself to them, that you would open the eyes of their hearts to see Jesus and to turn to Him and trust Him. Father, for those of us who do know you, we, we pray that you would, you would use this presentation of the gospel to, to help us love you more. We know that it's, it's, it's love for you that, that motivates um, holy living. It's love for you that, 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 and that motivates us to want to share your love with other people. Lord, cause us to love you more today. May we see Jesus, may we see your heart afresh and anew right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open your Bibles this morning to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's on page 874. If you're new today, we're in the midst of a a series called Where Are You in the Story? And we're looking at some of the stories, some of the parables that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke 15, Jesus actually tells three parables back to back to back. And last week, we looked at the first two of those parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And today, we're looking at what may be the most famous of all of Jesus' stories, it's traditionally called the parable of the prodigal son. But as we're going to see this morning, there were actually two prodigal sons, two lost sons in this story, because even though one of these boys never left home, even though he was in his father's house, his heart was far from his father. And so we're going to look at these two sons today, but more than that, we're going to see the heart of this father. And in seeing the heart of this father, really what we see is just a, a, a wide open window right into the heart of, of God and his, his character. Let's check it out. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look this morning at verses 11 uh, through the end of the chapter. Follow along. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and 
took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and, and, and ran and, and, and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, And put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your your brother has come. Your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. One of my most horrifying experiences as a parent occurred in what should be one of the happiest places we were at Bush Gardens. Uh, our son was just a real little guy at the, at the time, our first child. And we were in the, the land of the dragons. And if you've ever been to Bush Gardens, you know this is the place for the really little people. And it's sort of a complex of, of tubes and slides and ropes courses and, and things like that. And, and so you've got little kids swarming all through this complex. And, and usually... When they go through it, you can keep your eye on them for most of the time, but not the whole time. There are periods when they go into the tubes when you don't see them, but usually it's not for long. Well, on this day, it had been too long, too long since I had seen Caleb. And, uh, and I, I began to grow concerned, and my pulse began to quicken, and I began to, to, to call out his name calmly at first, and then when he didn't show, after I, I called him, there was... There was more emotion in, in, in my voice. And by this point, my pulse was pounding, my heart was in my throat, and I started to run all sorts of nightmare scenarios through my mind. Well, what, if he, what if he came down a, a slide on the other side of the complex where I couldn't see him come down, and maybe he, he, he took a wrong turn and he panicked, and maybe he, he wandered out of the land of the dragons? And then 
you know, with the, the sickness of this culture uh, in so many ways, and we hear so many things about predatory people and, and so forth, I started to think about that. What if my son has been grabbed? And, I, I, and by this point, I'm, 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 I'm crying out to, to my son. And, and just as I was about to, to alert one of the authorities, you know, he comes bouncing around the corner, smile on his face. He had been absolutely fine. But I'll tell you something, for those few minutes, uh, my, 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 every time stood still. I mean, all the things in my life that may have been challenges or problems before those moments, they, they just paled into utter insignificance. I would have done anything if I could have just held my son. You know, last week we looked at the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And Jesus there is really making an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he's looking at these people who are upset with him for reaching out to lost people. And he's saying to them, if you can understand why this shepherd would rejoice at finding a lost sheep. And this woman would rejoice at finding a lost silver coin. Can you not understand why I would rejoice, why the angels in heaven would rejoice when a lost person is found? And really it's all been building to a climax. And the climax is in this parable, because in this parable it's not a lost sheep anymore, it's not a lost coin anymore, it's a lost person. It's actually lost persons. Because there are two sons in the story that are lost. And we're going to look at those sons, but more than that, the main character in this parable is a father. The Father. Because in looking at the Father, really, we see the heart of our God. But we're going to look at the sons first. First of all, the, the, the younger son. Let's look first of all at the request that this younger son makes of his, his, his dad. In verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, it's hard for us in our 21st century American culture really to, to, to get the full effect of this that this first century Jewish audience would, would have had. Because we live in a culture where it's, it's common for children to, uh, to, to, to leave home, to live some distance from home, to explore wide open spaces, as one song puts it. But in this culture, that, that, just, that was just disgraceful. Sons especially were meant to stay uh, and, and to, to, to do, to, to, when, when the father died, to do what the father uh, did and to, and to inherit his land and, and, and so forth. To leave home was, was, was disgraceful enough in this culture, but that's not just what's going on here. That would have been bad, but this is, this is horrible. Because it was customary for, if, for the property to be divided. If there were two sons and the father all the father's wealth would have been in real estate and it would have been customary upon his death for the property to be divided between these two boys that was common but not until he died not while he was still alive and so really in coming to his father his living father and saying to him, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Basically what the younger son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I want your things and not you. The heartbroken father gives the younger son what he wants. His plan 
doesn't turn out well. His life becomes a train wreck. He squanders the money. And then this Jewish boy ends up in a, a pig field. In fact, he longs just to eat the carob pods that would have been fed to the pigs. Well, Jesus here is painting a worst-case scenario, isn't he? I mean, the, 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 the Jewish audience that he's telling this to would have just been recoiling in horror. He's, he's, he's painting this, 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 this worst-case scenario. And, and so part of the point of the parable is that no matter what a mess we have made of our lives, I mean, this is about as bad a mess as a life could get into. Part of the point of the parable is that no matter how much of a mess we've made of things, that, uh, that God's grace is deeper than all of that. There's no pit so deep that His grace is not deeper still, even if we've dug the pit ourselves. But if that was the only point that was being made here, that you know, the parable could end right here, right? Just with one son. There are two sons in this story. In fact, who is Jesus telling this parable to? What, what situation caused him to tell these three parables in Luke 15 to begin with? Let's go back to verses 1 and 2 and just, just review. What's the setting that causes Jesus to tell these parables? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. These are uh, irreligious, immoral people, um, but yet they were drawing near to hear Jesus, and he was reaching out to them. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are religious folks. These are are moral folks. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So who's Jesus telling these three parables to? Is he he talking really to, uh, to younger brother types or older brother types? Is he talking to, um, to irreligious, immoral outsiders? Or is he talking to religious, moral insiders? Well, really, the prime target audience here is the religious people, the, 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 the moral people who were at that very point in time furious with Jesus and plotting his death because he was reaching out to people like the tax collectors and the sinners. Let's take a look at the, at the older son here. The, the forgotten son, usually, when we think about this, this, this parable. The younger son has now returned. The father has, uh, has thrown a party to celebrate his, son's, his younger son's return. And now it's the older son's turn to, to break his father's heart. Verse 28 says that, uh, that when the father throws this party for the younger son, that, 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 that the older son was, was angry and he refused to go in. Now this was an absolute slap in the face to his dad. This was an absolute vote of no confidence in his dad. To refuse to go into a party, a, a, which was a community event, to refuse to go in to a party that his father had thrown for the community was just absolutely disgraceful. Uh, he is absolutely spitting in his father's face by refusing to, to, to go in. But then his, his, his loving father uh, goes, uh, goes, goes out to him. For his father 
to have to, to, to leave his own party and go outside to speak to his older son, was, that, was, that was a disgraceful thing for him to, to have to do. And then when he does go outside to speak to him, he, he, the older son meets him with absolute hatred. Verse, verse 29, look at what the older son says to his father. He answered his father, look. And in the original, it really says, look you. Look you. I mean, he, he's just hissing with hatred and contempt for his father. And then he begins to cite his record, right? Verse Verse 29, uh, verse 29 again. Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. In other words, look at my performance. Look at what I've done for you. Look at the bad things I haven't done. You owe me. You owe me. You know, that's exactly what an awful lot of people um, in our culture uh, think about salvation. They think God owes them. They think God owes them heaven. You talk to them about, uh, about Jesus. You ask them about this, this whole issue of, of salvation, what it, what it means to be, to be saved. And they begin to check off all the things they've done, the good things they've done, the religious things they've done, their church membership, their baptism. You know, that, uh, they're checking off a list, on and on and on and on and on. They, they cite the bad things that they haven't done. Nothing about Jesus. Nothing about the cross. Nothing about the, the Christ's blood shed on their behalf. It's not about Jesus at all. It's about them. They think that God can be controlled by their performance. They think God owes them heaven. They think that God is in their debt. They're lost. You talk to someone like that, someone who begins to talk about themselves, their achievement, their performance. They don't talk about the performance of Christ for them on the cross. They don't know Jesus. They don't. And we all have people in our life, and that's exactly what a a lot of them are thinking. They're they're, they're thinking that somehow if they do their best, it's all going to work out at the end. God owes them heaven. They're lost. In fact, is it harder for younger son types to be saved or is it harder for older son types to be saved? It's harder for older son types to be saved, right? Because people who are religious and moral but lost usually don't understand that they're lost. But both younger son types and older son types can be saved. It's possible for both to be saved because of who the Father is, because of the Father's heart. He's the main character, really, in this story. Let's look at the Father. In order, really, to understand the Father's heart, we we need to really understand uh, what these boys had done to him. When the younger son approaches his father and demands his share of, of, of the property, he's really, he's tearing his life apart. In those days, your life was, was tied to your land in a way that's very difficult for us to understand today. 
When you lost part of your property, it's like you were losing part of yourself. In fact, the, the word here in Greek in verse 30 that's used for prop, translated as property in English, it's the Greek word bion. It's where we, biology comes from. It means life. Life. And so when the son demands a share of the, of the property and then just you know, sell, cashes it in, some outsider moves onto this land that's been passed down for, for, for generations. I mean, it was just an absolute shame, a disgrace. It was, it, it, the father's life really was being torn apart. But that wasn't the worst part. That Not by a long shot. The worst part of it was the pain of rejected love. This is a loving dad. And we know that because a typical first century Middle Eastern dad would have just slapped the younger son and sent him away. And furthermore, had a ceremony where the younger son was completely disowned, formally disowned. It would be as if he never existed. That's not what happens. This father doesn't slap him. He doesn't disown him. He doesn't even emotionally distance himself. I mean, even... When we get hurt this bad by somebody who's close to us, we usually have to, just in order to cope, we have to create some sort of emotional distance between us and the person who, who hurt us this badly. I mean, just as a coping mechanism to get through life, we have to somehow just emotionally distance ourselves. He doesn't even do that. What does he do? He's looking down the road. He's looking down the road. This is a lovesick father. He would do anything if he could just see his boy. He's peering down the road. And and note that this happens before his son repents. It's not like he hears good news that, well, from the far country, well, maybe he's, maybe he's, 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 he's waking up. He hasn't heard anything. He hasn't heard any news. He, it, the son, as far as he knows, the son is still in utter rebellion, but yet he's, just, he's peering down the road. He's, he's, his heart, his lovesick heart is longing for his, his lost son before before his son makes any move toward him whatsoever, the father's heart was an open wound of love going out to his son. Is this not the way that God has loved us? Romans 5.8 says that God shows us his own love in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in utter rebellion against God, while we were still driving the spikes into him, what did God do? God gave his son. God gave his son for us. He took the initiative. His heart was going out to us. His heart was an open wound of love and that is seen in the wounds that Jesus bore on our behalf on the cross. Look at the reaction of this father when he sees his, his son. Look at, look at verse 20. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
Now, now, now again, things are happening here in verse 20 that, 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 that just didn't happen in first century Jewish culture. First of all, patriarchs like this father didn't run under any circumstances. Little kids ran. Young men might have run. Women might have run. Older men, patriarchs like this father, they didn't run. <laughs> they didn't run. They weren't going to gather up their robes and go running like some boy that was considered undignified. But when he sees his boy coming down the road, all dignity goes out the window. He gathers up his robes and he just sprints towards his son and he just envelops him in his love. The son begins to launch into his prepared speech, his whole spiel, and the father just cuts him off and mid-sentence. He, he, he can't, in his love, he can't stand to see his beloved son grovel. No, he cuts him off in mid-sentence and, and, and embraces him and, and, and calls out the, uh, the servants to, to, throw, to throw a huge party. What, what does he say in, 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 verse, in verse 22? He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. You see, these were all symbols of restoration. That they were symbols to everyone that the younger son was being completely restored with all the rights and privileges of, of, a, of, a, of a son. Is this not what God did when He saved us? You know, when we think of salvation, we, we, we often think of salvation as just God forgiving our sins. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. When we get saved, He not only forgives us of our sins, but He gives us a new standing. He credits the perfect righteousness of Christ to our account. And He adopts us as His own sons and daughters. And we have access 24-7 to the, the King of the universe who loves us as His beloved children with a perfect love. We're given that standing. It's not just a matter of having our sins forgiven. He says, put the best robe on Him. What robe would that have been? That was the Father's own robe. Again, this is what God does when we get saved. He, he takes the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness and He clothes us with it. He covers our filth, our dirt, our shame. You know, it's, all, it's all covered. We, we're, we're covered in a perfect robe of righteousness. Why? How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and He was going to be stripped naked of His robe so that one day those who trust Him would be able to, to be clothed in, 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 the, in the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. And the ones who were going to murder Jesus were going to be older brother types. But look at how Jesus is reaching out even to them in this parable. How does the Father treat the older son? This is crucial. What does he do when the older son disgraces him by not going into his party? What does the father do? The father goes out to him. 
Just like God came all the way from heaven to earth to find us. He came to us when we were still in rebellion and having contempt for Him. He came to us. Came, came down to us in, in love. The father goes, he goes out to his older son. And verse 28 says that he entreated him. That word entreated is a tender word. It's tender. He's, he's, he's treating him with incredible tenderness. It's just a, a, gentle, a gentle pleading with his son. And his gentle entreaty is met with absolute contempt and hatred. But even then, even, even after the older son just basically just hisses at him and says these words to his dad that just had to cut through his heart like a knife, How, what does the father say to him? Verse 31, And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Just reaching out to him. Saying, look, you're not, you're not losing anything because I, I love your younger brother as, as well. Son, you're always with me. What's, what's mine is yours. G, G, Jesus is saying to the older brother types in the crowd, to, to the scribes and the Pharisees, who at that very moment were plotting his death, Jesus is saying to them, come on, come on, I love you. I love you. There's, there's room for you. Come on in. It's like at the, at the Last Supper when Jesus takes the bread and dips it and offers it to Judas. And it's like he's saying to Judas, come on, come on in. There's still time. It, it's left hanging in midair, isn't it? How does the older brother respond? We don't get the answer in this story. That's by design. That's by design. Jesus leaves things hanging at the end of the story because he knows that the people who are listening that day, the people that are listening this day, we have to finish the story. We have to answer. Jesus is reaching out to each one of us just like He was reaching out to the older brother. The issue is how are we going to respond to His love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your amazing love that we see in the Gospel. Father, we pray that, that, that You would make us more and more aware of Your love for us in Christ. We know that it's that that, that motivates us to, to want to live holy, obedient lives. It's that that really motivates us to want to share the Gospel with our friends. The more that we understand it, the deeper that we know it, the more that we see how much You've loved us, the more that we, the more that we love You and the more that we want to, to live for you and share your love with other people. And so, Father, we pray that you would take us deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel and, and just fuel and increase and stoke our love for you. 
Father, I pray for anyone here today who's never come to experience your love for them and Christ. For anyone who's still on the outside looking in. Lord, just because we're in a church building doesn't make us a Christian. We see the older son was in the house, but his heart was far from you. It's possible for us to, to be in a church building. It's possible for our names to be on a church roll. And we're still lost. Father, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you. Younger son types, older son types, it doesn't matter. We're lost without you. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of hearts to see Jesus, to turn to him and to trust him today. So we continue to pray in just a moment. We're going to have a song of invitation. And if you'd like to place your faith in Christ or if you have at some point in the past but you haven't gone public with that, we want to invite you to come. Jesus says that, uh, that after we trust in him that we're to be baptized as a new believer. If you're here today and, and you've, you've trusted in Christ in this service or at some point in the past but you've never gone public with that, we want to invite you to come. and uh, We want to set up a time uh, for you to be, to be baptized as a Christian in obedience to Christ. If you're here today and, and God's speaking to you about the issue of church membership and you want to say, I want to be a part. We want to join together what God is doing in this church family. We want to invite you to come. If you're here today in, in need of prayer, we invite you to come. Heavenly Father, we give you now this time of invitation. Lord, would you work now. Do your work in, in hearts, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.